Welcome to New York Institute of Technology's podcast, The Scope. Produced by the College of Osteopathic Medicine, our episodes focus on the medical school experience and how it helps shape future physicians. Learn about exciting new health and wellness initiatives, cutting-edge medical research and technology, and how to effectively navigate medical school. We are excited to have you join us. Good afternoon and welcome to the SCOPE podcast. Today our conversation will focus on promoting positive mental health wellness during medical school. Specifically, the importance of medical students having easy access to high quality mental health services during medical school and the proactive initiatives happening at NYITCOM that are helping to eliminate negative stigmas that can be associated with students and physicians seeking mental health services. I am very pleased to welcome our guests today, Dr. Liette Jarkon, practicing psychiatrist of almost 30 years, director of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine's Center for Behavioral Health, an NYITCOM alumni, and a faculty member and assistant professor at NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine. Welcome. We're very happy to have you here. And I am also very pleased to welcome our second year medical student, Marnie Wilkoff, who is also the secretary of our SGA executive board at the College of Osteopathic Medicine. Thank you both for joining us today to talk about this very important subject. So I think what I'd like to do to, to begin is, um, Dr. Jarkon, I'd like to ask, can you tell us about some of your personal medical school experiences regarding availability and attitudes toward obtaining mental health services? Absolutely. First, let me just say thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to be here and share this with you. So I graduated a very long time ago. It was over 30 years ago. And at that time, NICOM, as it was called, was very different. Um, it was a very small class. It was about 90 of us. There was no diversity. Um, and at the time, I was very excited about getting into medical school. Um, I was really curious and, and I knew it was going to be a lot of work. But what I didn't realize is sometimes life was going to get in the way. Um, and I was prepared to work hard and I knew that I signed up for it and it was going to be like this for several years. But what I didn't realize is how much of an impact it was going to have on my outside life. It affected my family, it affected relationships and friendships. Um, and that at times proved to be very challenging. Um, at the time, I remember thinking to myself, well, who do I talk about with this? Where do I go? Uh, to my recollection, there was no counseling center. There was no services offered for us. There were times that um, we approached the faculty, who were very empathic at the time. It was a smaller demographic. They were able to be there for us. And I remember one occasion, um, one of the faculty members that I was particularly close to, I, uh, I caught his ear. And I was venting to him about how I had to miss a family function, a wedding, because the next day was a huge anatomy exam. Of course, I couldn't go to the wedding, and my family was very upset, and so on. And he listened, and he listened, and he looked at me, and he said, are you done? And I said, yes. And he said, OK, so stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get back to work. You signed up for this. You're fortunate to be here. Um, and patients are waiting for you. And that was my experience with therapy in medical school. It certainly sounds like your experience back then was challenging. From what I'm hearing, you, you didn't really have an avenue. It doesn't sound like there was an open dialogue in the way that there is today about addressing mental health initiatives for medical students. So I would ask you this question. Do you feel that that experience and others like it 
are what made you decide your specialty to become a psychiatrist? Well, I think in part, that, that's in part. I think I've always been analytic since I was a little child, if I look back. And during my clinical years, because we had clinical years just year three and four, there was no clinical the first two years, which is also a very different experience from what um, you're having now. Um, I really enjoyed surgery and OBGYN and the ER. It was very exciting. And I remember being in the emergency room, seeing patients coming in of all ages. And of course, I was excited to try to figure out what the etiology was to their medical problem, you know. But at the same time, the back of my mind, I was always thinking, what is this patient experiencing right now? Are they scared? Um, How is it going to affect their family and their jobs? And, and I always was concerned about that. And so that kind of led me to thinking maybe psychiatry, although I'd never thought about that. And when I did my um, rotation in psychiatry, I really fell in love with the whole idea of being able to help people deal with really anything on, from the emotional perspective. So I went into adult psychiatry during my residency. I was very fortunate that they had um, an inpatient child psychiatry unit. Morning. you're now a medical student here at our school, and I, I would be very interested to know if you feel that your experiences today uh, in regard to communications with medical students being able to feel comfortable and free to ask for the assistance of a mental health professional, is it different than um, what Dr. Jarkhan experienced? I think it definitely is. I feel like wherever you look, left, right, there's so many options and there's so many things available to students, whether it's you want to seek professional help, whether you want to speak to so counselors, psychiatrists, just friends, faculty, staff, everyone's extremely willing to listen and speak to you and not just say what that doctor said to you many years ago. They actually have a conversation with you and if you need further assistance, I think they're willing and they're going to help you get that help that you need. I don't think there's any issue or lack of avail availability of mental health services. Dr. Jarkhan, when this happened to you in medical school, can you share with our listeners how did that make you feel? It sounds like you did seek assistance. Well, I sought assistance the only way that I knew how. It was not an open conversation. I'm so glad to hear, Marnie, that, that you're having that experience now. That's been one of the goals that I've tried to establish here. Um, it made me feel like I had to just suck it up and take care of it on my own. Um, and that has been the barrier in the past, present, and hopefully not the future to many mental uh, medical professionals from seeking mental health care. You know, they're, they're, the doctors and medical students were held to a higher standard in our own minds, in our own minds. And that, I think, in part is what's led to the current situation with burnout and suicide and so forth. And it's very preventable. So to answer your question, I felt like I didn't have a right to be upset. I had to basically get back on board with what I was doing uh, because, hey, I was going to be a doctor. And I think, in all fairness to the professor that was speaking to me, I think that was the best he could do at the time. It wasn't, it wasn't a culture of, hey, you know, let's talk about this, let's bring it out in the open. It just was a very different time. Yes. I think he did the best he could, and I'm hoping that we can step it up and do the best we can now with every, all the resources that we have. Yes. Going off of that, I've spoken to some doctors here um, over the past year and a half and I've noticed that they would follow up with me we would speak for however long it was a couple minutes or whatever they realized that I was upset and then they would follow up with me when I saw them again whether it was the next time they gave a lecture or I stopped by their office or they saw me on campus so that really stood out to me it wasn't just a one-time conversation they really wanted to see how I was doing well that's fantastic and tell me about your feelings when that happened how did you feel 
oh, I was extremely happy knowing that they actually cared and wanted to not just listen and be like, okay, um, it is what it is, get over it and move on. They really cared because I didn't expect them to follow up with me when they saw me next. So they remembered um, what I told them about. They remembered my emotions and how I felt about the situation. And it was very nice to see that they wanted to see how I was doing a couple weeks later. I think that is, that is great. It's very good to hear that there's been such a, a transition to the positive. Dr. Jarkon, I'm really excited to talk with you today about the new NYITCOM Center for Behavioral Health. Can you tell me how it evolved? So I was hired um, in May of 2017 and I started teaching right away. I started facilitating small groups. Um, I uh, was seeing patients in the clinic, attending all the events, and really um, immersing myself in the environment. I started talking to the students. I started understanding what was going on. And you know, as a psychiatrist, listening and observing, it's kind of coming naturally to me. Um, and at some point, I realized early on that there is definitely a need, as I assumed there would be. There's a desire, which was different. The conversation was more available to be, you know, the, the, the students were more available to talk about it. Um, and now there was an opportunity. There was a psychiatrist on site, which had never happened here ever. Um, and I was very excited about, you know, seeing what I could do to help. So I approached the dean and I spoke to Dr. Ballantyne and I presented a proposal to organize and implement this Center for Behavioral Health. Um, my hope was to provide an integrated, comprehensive mental health program for our students. Um, and ultimately his vision and support led to this launching back in September. Um, and that's how we started it. The, the, the mission of the center is pretty straightforward. It, we just wanted to open more uh, well, open up more about mental health in general, increase awareness. Um, we wanted to um, raise uh, the community's awareness of it through quality research and educational opportunities and campus resources. And really the vision is to promote NYITCOM Center for Behavioral Health is being recognized with the purpose of helping our community. Um, and in order to do that, you know, we needed to identify and then meet the needs of our students. So I've been following the demographics of who's coming to see me based on gen uh, gender, based on year of matriculation, um, and it's been fascinating. And um, that's really, you know, that's where we're at with it right now. You know, there's been a great following. Um, the students are, are coming in in groves. In your opinion, do you find that medical students are often less likely to seek mental health services than the general public? Well, unfortunately, yes. Medical students and doctors, we are the worst patients in general. And in terms of uh, mental health care, uh, it goes with that as well. And I think part of the issue is that there's been this notion of doctor heal thyself for many, many, many generations. And unfortunately, this mantra has been a huge barrier to physicians seeking help. Um, I think they've interpreted it to mean that we need to take care of ourselves, deal with our own issues, suck it up as I was told 30 years ago, um, and that we have to suffer in silence. And it's my opinion and that of many others that this is what has led over years to the burnout, depression, and suicide rates that we're seeing. Of medical students in the United States, about 25% of them are reported to have depression. Of those, only 15% actually seek treatment. 11% have had suicidal ideation. Of the current physicians practicing, we know that about 40% of them have had burnout, 40% of reporting burnout. This is based on a study that, uh, that was done just last month, January of 2020. Of the 40%, 1% have attempted to commit suicide. 
and actually 300 to 400 doctors a year commit suicide. So again, part of the initiation of the center, part of my coming back here, part of the mission is that it's very difficult for me as a psychiatrist to sit by and just watch these statistics grow without doing anything. It is preventable, that's my opinion. We have to be proactive and the Center for Behavioral Health is trying to do exactly that for our population. Marnie, how do you feel in regard to the, the statement that medical students may be less apt to seek mental health services? Do you agree with that today? I unfortunately do agree. Um, I think a lot of students are worried about if they report it and they do seek help, how it would affect them in the future because everyone wants to get a residency and become a practicing physician. And I think a lot of students feel as if they will have to report that on applications in the future and for residency applications. So my opinion, I think that people are not as willing to seek help because they're afraid that it'll affect them um, in the future. So from your perspective, hearing Dr. Jarkin speak of the new Center for Behavioral Health here on campus, how does that make you feel? I mean, as far as confidentiality, as far as easily accessible care, do, are these components that you believe will help uh, medical students in general be more proactive? 100%, I think so, because it, it is very convenient. It's easily accessible. And I think we do know that it's confidential, but I think there's something in the back of our minds that's saying, okay, the conversation's kind of confidential, but will it still affect me? There's always something in the back of our minds thinking if it'll affect me in the future. But I think it's great. I think that just from speaking to students, we, I've spoken to a lot of students just about how it exists now, and I think it sounds like a lot of people are more willing to seek help because it's so convenient and it is on campus. I think that's a big plus. Dr. Jorkin, I would ask, you know, specifically, in regard to the Center for Behavioral Health, how, how does it strive to, to address these problems and to decrease these negative stigmas? So, so one of the things that's very important to me is the confidentiality aspect. Um, as a physician, as a pre previous uh, medical student, you are always concerned um, about uh, how it's going to affect you. And I can tell you from my perspective that my team, um, we all are doing the same thing. And my team includes myself. We have two psychologists, Dr. Anuraj, Dr. Lisa Hoffman. Everything is confidential. Our notes are locked as soon as the student leaves the room, as soon as anybody leaves the room. Um, we offer services. There is no referral necessary to come in. They can contact the clinic. They there's no questions asked. Um, they just say they want to speak to whoever they want to speak to and they're put into the schedule. What we're trying to do is we're trying to promote this and I'm trying to promote more of a mental health checkup. Just like you get a physical checkup every year, I think that will do wonders in reducing the stigma because now everybody's coming in or most people are coming in. Um, there's been a lot of initiatives. One of the things that I've done in the last couple of months is I put together a, an anonymous testimonial book. So the students who have seen me who are doing well, they write their stories, and the reason was twofold. Number one, they're, they want to share the information. Um, and number two, new students that come in, sometimes maybe the, the first year students compared to the second or third year students, will say, I know you're right, I should probably get my ADHD or depression or anxiety or whatever it is taken care of, but I'm a medical student. What if someone finds out and I open up my book and I say, look what your peers have written. And the book's getting thicker and thicker and might be published one day, but it helps them to understand that they're not alone. One of the things I was talking about earlier is that when my medical school years, we all were a class in the same room 
for eight hours a day, we were together. Now, with students streaming and students not coming to class and having other outlets, they feel very isolated. So this is a way of incorporating it. Um, and I think that, that that's one of the things we're doing. We also have a lot of initiatives coming out right now. We have a mental health screening for first-year students in terms of trying to see who might be more at risk for depression and suicide. We have a first aid, um, mental health first aid for faculty and staff being rolled out. So the faculty understands how to deal, how to spot and how to deal with a student that might be having problems and themselves as well. They're not immune to this. So we're going to have an open forum for students to come in, grab a bite to eat, and just sit and talk about what is on their mind without an agenda, without administration involved, and to act more as facilitators to have the discussion be more open. My hope is from such a forum we can also form some small groups. So there might be students who are specifically having issues, let's say students who are parents who have a different set of issues, or students who might be foreign students. The diversity is huge. We did not have that 30 years ago. And it provides for a lot more interesting approaches. So we're trying to make everybody understand that the most important thing is for them to feel comfortable that we're there to help them. It no longer has to be swept under the rug. Well, it certainly seems that um NYITCOM is being very proactive in bringing the positiveness of taking care of your mental health to the forefront. The things you're telling us about are so exciting and as an administrator here at the college, I can see people talking more freely, people feeling good about taking care of their overall health and wellness because as a future physician and as a physician yourself, would you agree that you have the ability to best take care of your patients when you take care of yourself? One of my favorite statements is probably old for many of the students is it starts on the top. We can't possibly help others if we don't help ourselves first. Marty, you are involved in some interesting work that uh, relates to uh, student wellnesses uh, as well. Would you like to share some of that with us? Sure. So I am the NYITCOM student liaison for the Mental Empowerment Directive Initiative, which was rolled out by the Consul Council of Osteopathic Student Government Presidents recently. And it consists of monthly um, events for students to participate in and it's like a mental health checkup um, a lot of them are so in September we had suicide prevention week so there were a lot of activities um, to get students involved we handed out a lot of resources uh, placed them around campus in case anyone needed them so January was resolutions and we had cards that we handed out to students and they were able to enter a raffle so there was a little bit of it of an incentive but a lot of people came just filled out resolution cards, what they wanted to do for the year, what they were proud of last year, what made them laugh, you know, some pretty basic things. But we had such an astounding number of students come and fill out these cards, and they were able to keep them. If they didn't want to keep them, we then hung them up on the wall with their permission. They are completely anonymous also. Um, so they're on the doors to the Molly Auditorium, and they look at them every day. They go in. You can read others. You can read your own, and it's just to motivate you. Um, so I think it's a great thing that the Council of Osteopathic Student Government pre Presidents rolled out, and I think it's going to have a great benefit to students in the long run. And Dr. Jarkon, in closing, I'd, I'd like to know, how can our listeners learn more about NYIT's uh, Center for Behavioral Health, its benefits, and also how is the best way that they can go about utilizing those services? Absolutely. Um, so we have a very active social media campaign. We have daily posts about uh, mental health events and uh, articles. 
uh, mental health facts, even Friday funnies, just to get us through the weekend. Um, and they can follow us on Twitter at NYT Center for BH. They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram on NYT Academic Healthcare Centers. Um, they can contact the clinic, 516-686-1274. That's a direct number to the Center for Behavioral Health. Um, and they can email us at centerforbh at nyt.edu. Um, I think it's a very good place for them to find out about events that are happening um, and to promote it. And I think one of the things that Marnie was talking about with the student government getting involved, it's so wonderful to hear that because it's really important to me that most of the takeaway is that mental health, taking care of our own mental health is not an option, it's essential. Uh, we deserve to feel better and we need to feel better in order to be the best that we can, not only as clinicians, but in our private lives as well. Marnie, what would you like to say to the medical students that are listening? So I think that while it might be scary to seek help if you need it, know that it won't have any negative effect on your future and that your health is the most important thing. And to not be afraid and to take the first step into seeking help because it's not just going to benefit you in the moment, but it's gonna benefit you in the long run. So whoever you are, if you need help, speak to a friend, seek professional help because it's going to have such a huge benefit on you in the future. Thank you. And I would like to take this moment to thank you both for joining us today and sharing your viewpoints and experiences with our listeners. Based on today's discussion, it is very clear to me that seeking the services of a mental health professional can certainly be a very vital and beneficial component to a medical student's overall health and wellness plan. So Dr. Jarkon, I'd like to thank you. Your efforts and the services that you are providing uh, through the NYIT Center for Behavioral Health are clearly making a very positive impact on the medical school community. And I thank you truly for, for that. And uh, Marnie, as our student physician, our expert student physician here, we are so pleased and proud of you. And we thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights into the medical student experience. Thank you. Thank you.